session today. Well, you're way ahead of me then, because I still am. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Father in heaven, we ask for your mercy and grace as we approach your word. We approach it with our hands empty and our hearts empty, and we're looking to you to fill us. We ask that by your grace you'd give us the understanding to, <clears throat> to hear your word and apply it to our own hearts, be encouraged by your word, and be filled with your Holy Spirit to use your word to see our lives changed. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Today's John chapter 9, and it's pretty much just one story. John chapter 8, of course, had a whole bunch of short stories back to back that all turned into individual sermons, so that I think we're, let's see, I think a little over 13, 14 months into the book of John, and we've just finished eight chapters. <clears throat> Today I'll speed things up a little bit. The topic, or the title, <clears throat> is one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. We're going to go through the first 38 verses of the chapter. The last three verses will be another message. <clears throat> In a way, today's message could be categorized as apologetics, defending the faith. Uh, it could be called evangelism and giving one's testimony. It could be about persecution because the fellow in this chapter that gave his testimony was pretty hotly persecuted because of it. He was kicked out of the temple and publicly condemned for giving a completely honest, completely factual testimony. <clears throat> or we could simply see it as a historical account of a fellow who was born blind. We don't know how thoroughly, but it was enough that everybody that knew him recognized, no, he was born that way. It wasn't through subsequent damage. Uh, I've known people that were born without eyes or born with only one eye and the other one didn't work or something. <clears throat> but that it was clear there was no damage that caused that they were simply born that way. <clears throat> the point is, after adulthood, he received his sight. <clears throat> so if we're going to look at it that way, and I think we ought to, um, I think there's at least three questions we ought to ask. One is what happened here, obviously. But another was, where did it happen? And another is, so who were the witnesses? Who saw this happen? Because in any courtroom, they would want to know those kind of things. So I think that's appropriate for us to ask those questions. <clears throat> so in John chapter 9, verse 1, the first five words let us know where. Because it says, and as Jesus passed by. <clears throat> Well, passed by what? Passed by where? Passed by the local ice cream stand? No, we need to back up and get the context. Because you remember in the previous chapter, the Pharisees had picked up rocks they were going to try to stone him to death, kill him. And somehow, again, miraculously, he just walked through their midst, got away from them, and it says, and passed by. Now, there were no chapter and verse divisions in the original text. So the next verse says, and as he passed by, he saw a blind man. Where was he? Well, he's just outside the temple. That's where he'd been. <clears throat> he just left. <clears throat> We're going to find out later that this blind man was a beggar. 
I would have assumed that might have been where he, why he was there. Uh, we've seen that in other places. And over in Acts chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 3, it talks about a lame man who was sitting outside the temple gate begging. And Peter and John walk by, and next thing you know, he's walking and leaping and praising God. Never walked before. <clears throat> but this one's a blind man, and he didn't apparently say anything. He was just sitting there. <clears throat> so to begin with, in terms of who were the witnesses, to begin with, we have at least Jesus and the disciples, because they were there, they saw the whole thing start to finish. Um, they all recognized that he had been born blind, and only Jesus knew why. <clears throat> the disciples, though, asked whose fault it was that he should be born blind. Now to us, that sounds like a weird question, but to a people that they thought that all illnesses or all bad things that happen to believers must be a judgment on God's behalf. Um, it seemed a per perfectly logical question. And there's people today that believe, if you're living right, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Well, sorry, that's not true. Jesus made it very, very clear in his preaching, his teaching, that oftentimes bad things do have to happen to good people. Primary, a prime Old Testament example would be Job. Now, if you've got any doubts about Job, read very carefully the first two chapters because God said over and over, he is a righteous man, that even God wasn't finding any fault in him. And at the end, after all the arguments in chapter 42, when God had corrected Job's start to a slide into, a, into bitterness and starting to blame God, he stopped him before he got any place with it. He spent all of chapters 38, 39, and 40 talking to Job. But in chapter 42, it says he turned to Job's friends and says, but you I'm mad at. I'm angry with you. Because Job was telling the truth, you're not. They were the ones saying there must be something wrong in your life for this evil to have happened to you. They were wrong. Job was right. Also in the Old Testament, we see in Psalm 73 and other places, we see that it's real common for good things to happen to bad people. In fact, a lot of them get rich by their bad behavior. We see it all the time. <clears throat> the other thing we see in Psalm 73 is that those rich people, the people that have gotten that way by evil behavior, cheating other people, shorting their employees, whatever, uh, they're facing judgment just like everybody else and God does not forget how they got to where they are he doesn't forget their evil <clears throat> read Psalm 73 in fact I like reading Psalm 37 and 73 you can re remember the reverse number there because both of them deal with the same issue of fretting because of the, the you see a, an evil person prospering he says don't fret God knows what's going on both of those chapters are real good that way. <clears throat> so for people that believe that if you're doing right, if you're living right, then nothing bad will ever happen to you. Sorry, that's just not true. Jesus said so. <clears throat> so Jesus gave a clear answer to his disciples. He says nobody's at fault. In, um, in verse 2, they had asked, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In verse 3, Jesus answered, saying, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the work of God should be manifest in him. God's about to get some 
serious glory for the miracle that he's about to do. <clears throat> and Jesus reminded him that he himself was the light of the world. Now, we remember that because we had a sermon on that three weeks ago, but that's the same day as only hours earlier in their lives. They, it was John chapter 8, verse 12. He says, I'm the light of the world. He, he that walks with, in me is not going to walk in darkness. Uh, he that comes to me will not walk in darkness. <clears throat> but he said that while he was alive, he was the light of the world, and that he had a job to do. He says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. Uh, a lot of the newer translations change that to we must work the works of him who sent us. Sorry, the original Greek says, I me, it's, it's I. I must work the works of him who sent me. Uh, I know there's other other Greek versions, and probably that's where they got those other translations. It's not a terribly deep thing, but Jesus was completely aware that he was going to have a very short ministry. Three, three years, and he's gone. Three and a half years, and he's gone. And he says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. Nobody gets to keep on working for God after they die. Not, not in, in this world, anyway. A lot of people think that their dead loved ones have come back and done something for them. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. If they're with the Lord at all, and we're talking about believers, if they're with the Lord, they're looking at him. They're not paying any attention to what you're doing. Sorry, I hate to burst your bubble that way, but they're looking at Jesus. They're not looking at you. they got other things to do right now. Okay. But it is a reminder to us that we have relatively short lives too, and we don't know how long we're going to live. Today might be my last day to get to work for God. Okay, am I going to use it or waste it? I don't know how many days I've got. He says, as long as he's in the world, he's the light of the world. That's his job. As long as you're in the world, you're one of his lights in the world. If you're a believer, he's called you to hold forth the word of life, the word of truth, and to shine as lights in a corrupt nation. That's what he says. And he was talking to the people in Galatia, or excuse me, Philippi. But it goes for us too. I mean, we haven't exactly got a righteous nation that doesn't have any corruption in it. When I was a child, I somehow thought we did, but I got dissuaded of that. <clears throat> so he's pointing out that every one of us has a working day, and we don't know how long it is. Once we're out of time, we're out of time. You get to work for God now. So we talked initially about where this happened. We've talked already a little bit about who some of the witnesses are. We're going to talk about some more. But we need to talk about what happened. So when Jesus had told his disciples, I have to do what God sent me to do, he said when he had thus spoken, <clears throat> in verse 6, it says, he spat on the ground and he made clay of the spittle, in case you're wondering how come I have the scripture printed out, it's because I can see it a little easier. <clears throat> he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. He, he spit in the dirt and he made mud. That's what we would call it. The old English was clay. He made mud and he smeared that mud all over this guy's eyes. <clears throat> all right? And he said to him three things. Go, wash in the pool of Siloam which is by interpretation sent. He, that is the blind man, 
went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. He came back completely normalized. So what do we see? Jesus made mud. That's what we would call it. He made mud. He wiped it all over this guy's eyes. And then he gave him three short commands. Go, wash, but specifically in the pool of Siloam. And it says that Siloam being interpreted means sent. <clears throat> A lot of commentators wanted to say that Jesus was pointing out that he was sent of God. My guess is that we're being reminded that we're to go where we're sent and do what we're told, because that's what this guy did. <clears throat> he went where he was sent, and he did what he was told. And he came back seeing. <clears throat> I guess it could be either. But the result was that this man did go where he was sent. He did obey by faith, and he did come back with normal eyes, completely normal. So now he is a witness, too. He hasn't seen Jesus, however. Remember, he walked away completely blind. By the time he came back, he didn't know where Jesus was. He couldn't, he'd never seen him. He'd heard his voice one time. <clears throat> he knows what happened, but he couldn't point out the man who healed him because he'd never seen him. But he knew one thing. He knew his name. He knew the name of Jesus. That's important all by itself. If you don't remember anything else, remember the name of Jesus, remember that he's the one who saved you, then you got at least a foot in the door. You know where you're, you know where you're headed. But his neighbors and the other people that had seen him sitting there begging day after day, they saw him now and they said, isn't that the guy that used to be sitting here begging? And some said, well, no, it just looks like him. Verse, that's verse 9. But he said, no, I'm him. That's me. Therefore, verse 10, they said unto him, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went, and I washed, and I received sight. Then say they unto him, Where is he? He says, I don't know. I know not. <clears throat> the neighbors and the other people were witnesses too now. But see, they only knew the before and the after. They didn't know what happened. They had to ask him. They knew that he was blind before. They'd seen him for years. They absolutely knew him. They knew he was blind. They also could see now he's got normal eyes. He's walking around as a sighted person, and they wanted to know what happened. <clears throat> they couldn't understand what caused the change. I wouldn't have understood it either. I still don't. All I know is that it's God's power. They knew the before and the after, but they had no idea what had happened to him. I used to think for a minute, if there's people that you knew before they were saved and then met them years afterwards and immediately could tell, whoa, something has changed. And so you start kind of sidling along beside them and asking questions to find out that, oh, yeah, this is what happened. I knew a guy in high school like that was blatantly ungodly as a young man, and I met him about 10 years later, and he'd been gloriously saved. We had wonderful fellowship. You know, I knew right away something had changed. I started asking questions. He looked me right in the eye with a big smile and said, yeah, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. He's changed my life. Boom. That's what a testimony is. You knew me before. Here's what happened. Now I'm changed. Here's what changed. You see why I was asking Chuck if he had read my notes? So we need to be sharing that. This is what happened. Jesus saved me. Jesus changed me. I'm walking with Jesus now. Stinker, he stole my thunder. <clears throat> no, I'm glad. It just lets everybody know that God's in the game here. 
So they asked him for an explanation. <clears throat> he told them in very plain language exactly what had happened from his own perspective. That was his first testimony, and it was perfect. He might have thought, well, that was pretty lame. All I did is tell him, he put mud in my eyes, and I washed it off, and now I'm seeing. No, he had also told him the name of Jesus. He said, I met a man named Jesus. He made clay, and he anointed my eyes and told me to go wash, and I did, and now I can see. <clears throat> this is a perfect example of what we are commanded to do in 1 Peter 3.15. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be always ready to give an answer for any man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you. And do so with, with meekness and fear. Do so respectfully. He did exactly what they said, what God said. <clears throat> they asked. He was prepared, and he gave them a straight answer. There wasn't any messing around with you know, human storytelling technique and embroidering things or embellishing things. <clears throat> he just told exactly what happened. So what are these neighbors and the other people that knew him, how did they respond? They throw a party for him, celebrating the fact that he's got his eyes back? No, not hardly. They dragged him to the temple and presented him to the Pharisees for an inquisition. You're going to find out what happened. You're going to investigate. You know, we can't have these miracles going around healing people. <clears throat> so it says they brought to the Pharisees him that before was blind. That's verse 13. Verse 14. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. All right. There's part of the key to the problem here. Jesus seemed to save up his healing and do it only on the Sabbath. He did it on purpose, apparently, to aggravate the Pharisees because he did it over and over, and they got offended every single time. <clears throat> but they couldn't escape the fact that they were now witnesses too. They were seeing this sighted man who all these people that brought him to him said, well, he was blind, we know him, but all of a sudden he's got eyes and he can see just like us. We want you to tell us what's going on. <clears throat> they didn't really believe that. All they knew is they were seeing a man who could see. <clears throat> and the Pharisees, verse 15, asked, also asked him, how he had received his sight, and he said to them, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God, because he keeps not the Sabbath day. Others, stole the Pharisees, others said, well, how can a man who's a sinner do such miracles? We got a problem. There was a division amongst them. <clears throat> See, even the Pharisees could tell there was a problem. But one group said, he must be a bad guy. He's working on the Sabbath. The other group said, well, but how can a bad guy heal a guy that's been blind from birth? How can a, blind guy do these, how can a bad guy do these kind of miracles? <clears throat> so they went back. The problem was the truth was staring them in the face, and they were rejecting it. And that's the problem that the world does face, the true the truth is staring them in the face and they're rejecting it. <clears throat> and that raises some problems for them. In fact, it used to be, you know, when you go into public restrooms, there was dirty stuff written on the walls. I needed to use the restroom at Walmart last night. And I noticed on the wall it says, all religion is fiction. I said they're looking at it for a bit and I thought, I don't need the answer. That guy's, he's, he's saying what his own problem is. <clears throat> So they asked the blind man, well, what do you say about him? He opened your eyes. What do you say about him? He said, well, he's a prophet. See, the only possibility the blind man could think of is that anyone who could heal 
like that must be a prophet of God. He'd just been made the recipient of a first-class, Old Testament-style miracle. And the only people who could do such things, to his knowledge, were prophets of God. He had to be a prophet. But the Jews didn't even believe he'd been blind. It says, that, verse 18, it says, The Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? They called the man's parents then. Now some commentators suggest that when the parents say, Well, he's of age. Let me read that first. Uh, his parents answered him and said, We know this is our son. We know he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we know not. Or who has opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. Some commentators say, well, all he had to be is over 13. He passed his bar mitzvah. He was legally able to give testimony. They don't call a 13-year-old boy a man any place in Scripture. <clears throat> We've been studying through the Old Testament in the Wednesday night Bible class where just starting Deuteronomy right now. And what we saw in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers is that all the people under 20 when they left Egypt were considered children. They weren't even counted in the census. They counted the men above 20 years old as being potential fighting men. There were 600,000 of them. They didn't count the women and kids. Well, the under 20 were considered the kids. So I don't think that they would be calling him a man if he was 13 or 15 or 17. No, he was at least 20. In fact, I think he may have been over 30 because there were certain responsibilities, public responsibilities, that you couldn't do until you were 30. That's why Jesus waited until he was 30 to start his ministry because he couldn't do those certain things until he was 30. One was having to do with the priesthood, but <clears throat> certainly not a child we're talking about here. <clears throat> I mean, I feel kind of bad to see his parents back out on him like that. But the fact is, they gave an honest testimony. We don't know. Yes, he's our son. Yes, he was born blind. How he got this way? I haven't got a clue. You find out. Ask him. We weren't there. <clears throat> it's funny, though. You know, all those neighbors and other people that brought him in were testifying that he was blind, that they'd all known him for years. And the Pharisees didn't trust their judgment. Those people are the ones that brought him in. Well, why would they lie about it? You're not making sense here. Well, they just can't stand the idea that a bona fide miracle has happened and that they can't explain it, <clears throat> especially when it didn't come from their business. And that's what the temple was to them, was their business. <clears throat> so what's next <clears throat> God lets us see the inside story here you know, I, like I said I feel kind of bad seeing the parents not backing up their son and saying yeah it's him ask him I mean, if he's, he's telling you the truth we don't know beyond that <clears throat> the problem was that what we saw in the end of verse, uh, excuse me, in the end of verse 22 and 23, it says, These words spake his parents because 
they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he, that is Christ, Jesus, was the Christ, that he should be put out of the synagogue. They were going to kick him out of the, the local assembly. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. They weren't going to stick their necks out. <clears throat> so that was the inside story, that there was already a, you want to call it a conspiracy, you can. It was a, a secret agreement that if anybody says this, then we're going to excommunicate him. <clears throat> so they said, you'll have to ask him. They were afraid of the Pharisees. They were being completely honest and logical. It still kind of bothers me that they wouldn't back up their son's testimony, but they, they were being completely honest and logical. Then again, the Pharisees, says, then again called they the man who was blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know this man is a sinner. See, they were commanding the healed man to recant and to back their claim that it was not Jesus who healed them, that somehow he was healed other, other than that and that Jesus was just a bystander. They accused Jesus of being a sinner. They had no evidence beyond the fact that they thought he was breaking the Sabbath. No, and the fact, the fact is he was not breaking the Sabbath. He didn't do anything that would have been forbidden on the Sabbath. Jesus pointed that out a number of times in the scripture. Uh, one of them, somebody he had healed, they were saying, you shouldn't be doing your healing on the Sabbath. He says, which one of you, if your ox or your donkey was in a pit or a ditch, on the Sabbath, wouldn't go to work and pull him out right then instead of waiting until the next day. I healed him completely, and I didn't do nearly the work that you would do getting your donkey out of the ditch. And he, this guy's a son of Abraham. He's worth a lot more than the donkey, but you're accusing me, and you would have you done more than that just to save an animal's life. <clears throat> he was not breaking the Sabbath. By the way, if we ever get back there, uh, I'm sure we will, but Hebrews chapter 4, you might find a real interesting read because it talks about Jesus being our Sabbath. That we as believers can enter into his rest. He's not only the Lord of the Sabbath as he taught the Pharisees. He's not only you know, the, the, the God who made the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath. <clears throat> He's our rest. We can rest in him. So they asked him, he said, you, you better tell us, we know he's a sinner, so you better admit that God healed you, not that man. <clears throat> so what was his defense? This man had to defend his previous testimony. It says he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. I see, that's the bottom line for every believer. As Chuck was saying here a minute ago, if if you've been saved and you know that, then you'd never have to back away from that. You may not be able to prove anything to anybody. You know, I don't have to prove why things happen in physics. They simply happen. Uh, you, there might be argument about why they happen. Fine, go ahead and argue. I'm just going to enjoy the results. You know, I, I like the way the gravity is dependable. When I let go of things, they don't go flying off into space. I like the fact that most days I get up and the sky's blue. If the sky's looking kind of yellow, I'm starting to look around thinking there's a lot of smoke in the sky today. If it's turning red, I'm worried. That there's, there's something heavy going on. Why? Because normal sky is blue. I, that's dependable. I never show up and, and look and there's a purple sky and then after a bit it turns green. I'd be really worried if that was happening. See, I don't have to argue about those things. And we don't have to argue 
about our testimony. We can simply say, look, Jesus saved me. If you want to reject him, that's up to you. This is the lifestyle I was in, and I wasn't finding my way out. I was circling tighter and tighter into terminal depression or whatever it was. And somebody explained to me that Jesus completed the work on the cross to set me free from sin. And I latched onto that with both hands. I put my faith in his finished work at the cross, his shed blood at the cross, and he saved me. And now I'm walking pretty straight. I still have to be careful, but I'm living a life that's filled with joy, and I'm living in faith, and I may get called home tomorrow, but I'm happy to go. Okay, You don't have to argue about that. You can simply state the facts. <clears throat> and this is what he did. He said, all I know is that this is the first day I've ever seen anything in my life, and that man healed me. So you go ahead and yap all you want about him, but he's the one that healed me. That's the bottom line for any personal testimony. So he's starting to push back. He seems like he's starting to catch on. There's something political going on here. They don't want to hear the truth. They said to him then, again, what did he do to you? How did he heal you? He says, I already told you. You didn't hear it. You, you weren't listening. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Yeah, he's, he's, he's starting to push back a little bit here. <clears throat> and then they reviled him. Now they're really mad. It says they reviled him. They said, you're his disciple. We're Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't know even where he came from. And see, there's another kind of an odd line of attack. We know about Moses by reading the Torah. We've never seen him. We've never met him face to face. The only witness we have is this book that we're pretty sure is God's word. Okay, fine, it is. But this other guy, we don't know where he came from, so he must be bad. You don't have any testimony regarding him. But the man answered, and it's, it's really beautiful here how God gave this blind beggar who's never read a book in his life the wisdom to walk these Pharisees through the little lesson in logic that they needed to know where did Jesus come from? <clears throat> the man answered and said to them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he has opened my eyes. Now, point one. We know that God hears not sinners, point two. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth, point three. Since the world began, it was not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. Conclusion, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Isn't that interesting? This formerly blind beggar has been given enough evidence and wisdom to walk these Pharisees through this little lesson. And it made them mad. They, they didn't respond well to this at all. He offered these three points of fact and then his conclusion. God doesn't answer sinners. God does answer the people that love him and worship him and walk with him. Nobody in history, there's point three, has ever opened the eyes of a person born blind. This is, this is history making today, right now. His conclusion, if the man were not of God, he could do nothing. What's the problem here? You ought to know where he's from. <clears throat> they rejected it. They answered and said to him, you are altogether born in sin, and you're going to teach us? And they cast him out. Yeah? Proud people don't like getting schooled by people they consider their inferiors. They get pretty huffy about such things. 
And since they were in a position of power, too, they pulled rank and had him excommunicated from the temple, or at least from the synagogue. I had read it as temple before, but I see now that it says synagogue. That's not quite the same. I'm sure that hurt him emotionally. He had just received the biggest blessing of his life, and the result was that his whole community now rejects him, considers him an outcast. So what's really going to matter, though? What's going to matter is the fact that he's going to know Jesus. He already knew his name. He'd gotten that on the first contact. Verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he, that is Jesus, had found him, that is the man he'd healed, he said to him, Do you believe on the Son of God? This is kind of a touching scene. Jesus went and found the man he'd healed. He'd never seen Jesus before. He'd only heard his voice once. Jesus probably found him pretty discouraged, dejected, depressed maybe. But he asked whether he believed on the Son of God. It means, do you place your faith on the Son of God? And he answered in verse 36 and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him, on him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who talks with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. He worshipped him. Jesus willingly received the worship of this man and others. Now that only leaves three possibilities. The world would say, well, he must be crazy, he just thinks he's God. Others would say, no, he's a terrible liar and he wants everybody else to think he's God. Well, that's a possibility too. But see, the third possibility is that he really is God. And if he really is God, he's supposed to be receiving worship. Now, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 1, you find out the day he was born, God commanded the entire angelic army to fall down and worship that newborn baby there in Bethlehem. And if the angels fall down and worship Jesus, there's absolutely no reason the rest of us shouldn't. He's the creator God in the flesh. And Jesus received this man's worship. The man finally made the connection that this was Jesus. He'd only heard his voice once before. This is the one who healed him. And he suddenly knew there was another possibility as to who can heal, who can work miracles. It's not just a prophet of God. God can do it too. That's the other possibility that nobody was considering. This is talking about the deity of Christ. It's talking about that Jesus is the authority behind the prophets of God. <clears throat> of course, God can heal a man who had been born blind. And Jesus had his total respect and gratitude before when he thought Jesus was just a prophet. Now he's got his faith and devotion and love when he knows that Jesus is actually God in the flesh. There's all kinds of lessons we can learn here. One of them is that we need to have our own eyes opened by Jesus. Whether it's for salvation or to see ourselves as we truly are right now. And Chuck touched on those things earlier that we need to realize that we've got a job to do and it's our job to reach out to the lives around us. Some of them are saved people that have forgotten what it means to walk with God, but there's far and away more of them that have rejected even the thought of the gospel and to show them what he's done in your life. We need to know from his word how we were born again. Because if somebody asks and you don't know how to tell them how to be born again, you're not doing them much good. You say, yeah, I've been born again. God changed my life. How'd that happen? Well, he just changed my life. 
okay, there's more to it than that. At some point, you're going to need to understand the gospel and what it is that God's asking them to believe. I, I knew a man years ago. He and his wife are both gone to be with the Lord now, but Weldon Biller was his name. He lived out in beyond Gales Creek off of Parsons Road out there. Old farmer and mechanic. And when I first became a believer, he shared with me his testimony. He told how when he got married, his wife had been Roman Catholic, and he was told when they got married that he had to swear that he was going to raise their kids Roman Catholic. And at the time, he thought, well, it's fine. I don't care, because he wasn't a believer himself. But as the time came, as they had children and it was time to start some kind of training, he was having his doubts and thinking, I'm not sure I want that for my children. And he told his wife, she said, well, what do you got to offer? You got nothing. Okay, I need to go find out something then. And he just I think he might have picked a name out of this phone book. I don't know what he did, but he went to some evangelical pastor around here and asked him, and the guy led him to the Lord on the spot. He had this little paper tract. He walked him through, explaining to him that Jesus had completed all the work at the cross that needed to be done to give him a right standing before God, and that all God was asking him to do is to put his faith in what Jesus did at the cross. And he did that day, that hour. So he went home, told his wife, and he tried to explain it to her. He went through that same track with her. Just He's been a believer for less than a few hours, and he's sharing with his wife and walking through the track and explaining it as best he can for a guy that's never known it before. And she was crying. She says, are you telling me that the work's already done? See, she'd been raised thinking all her life that she had to do all these things and make sure there's no, you know, mortal sins and and do right and do more right and give more money and pray more things and say more Hail Marys and, and do a rosary more often and never can do enough. There's never a time they can say, you've done it. You're, you're headed for heaven now. Can't be done. Not within that system. So what he was telling her for the first time in her life was that Jesus completed all the work at the cross. And she placed her faith in him too. And then they subsequently raised their children as believers in Jesus. If you don't know how you're saved, you can't say it, share with somebody else. You need to be ready. That's the next thing. You need to be ready to give that answer. And be ready, willing, when the question comes up. Even if it's just a little bit of a question now. Chuck had a wide open door today. It's not always that easy. But we need to be ready to give an answer and be able to say, yes, he saved me. And finally, I think it behooves us to at least be able to offer some defense of our faith, even if it's only the simple statement that, look, I believe in the Jesus of the Bible, that Jesus, not some made-up Jesus that people make fables about or tell stories about or... I know there's some religions that treat him as just a man, he's a great teacher, or as a prophet, or as a great spirit being, or some of them even have him be kind of a god, but not the god of the whole universe, which is what he is, who he is. No, the Jesus of the Bible, that Jesus. If that's all you got, then try to write out there and say, look, the, the Jesus I believe in is the Jesus that the Bible teaches, not anybody else's interpretation of who Jesus is. That's the Jesus I believe in, and there is no substitute for Jesus. 
that's all the defense you've got, then praise God. But I would challenge you to start digging into your Bible to, to prepare for these points that we just read of knowing how you got saved and being ready to give an answer and being able to give a defense when people make an attack on your testimony. Let's go ahead and pray together. Lord Jesus, we'd ask that you'd open our eyes. You'd help us to see, as this man did, that what you have healed us from, that, that you've healed us from the sickness of our souls, that you've set us free from our sins, that we're no, we no longer have to be in slavery to our sins, that we can walk with you in freedom and in life and in the light of your word. We ask that you'd teach us to be ready with an answer for anybody and everybody and be ready with a defense to be able to say, well, here's why I believe. We know that we're growing in these things. We know that you've got your hand on our lives. We see just in this, the things you're doing in this church this morning, we see that you've got our hand, your hand on our lives. We ask for your continued grace in Jesus' name. Amen.